This is Matt Raymond, and welcome to this podcast from the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C. Each year, thousands of book lovers of all ages visit the nation's capital to celebrate the joys of reading and lifelong literacy at the National Book Festival, sponsored by the Library of Congress and hosted by First Lady Laura Bush. Now in its eighth year, this free event held on the National Mall, Saturday, September 27th, will spark readers' passion for reading as they interact with the nation's best-selling authors, illustrators, and poets. Even those not attending the festival in person can participate online. These podcast interviews with well-known authors are available through the National Book Festival website at www.loc.gov slash bookfest. Now have the honor of talking with the famed pastry chef Warren Brown. You might be familiar with Mr. Brown as the host of the Food Network program Sugar Rush. Or if you live here in the Washington, D.C. metro area like I do, you may better know him for his delicious confections that he creates in his local Cake Love bakeries. Mr. Brown has appeared on Oprah, The Today Show, and Fox News, and has been featured by People Magazine, Forbes, Reader's Digest, and numerous other publications. His latest cookbook is called Cake Love, and it shares the same name, of course, of his bakeries and captures his passion for baking cakes that please his family, friends, and customers alike. Mr. Brown, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, I have to tell you, I took a look at a press release for this book, and I, I love this opening line. It says that you gave up a law career studying torts to pursue your true happiness, baking torts. That's right. Of course, uh, different spellings. Tell us a little bit about that and how you came to do what you're doing now. I, uh, I came to Washington back in 95 to uh, go to Jeter. Uh, George Washington Law School, and um, I, uh, you know, studied and graduated. Uh, did two years as a healthcare litigation attorney with the federal government, and in the midst of uh, practicing, really at the outset of practicing, I had a really good, strong feeling that it, it wasn't right for me. I, uh, I, I can't say that I was daydreaming. I guess any more than anybody else at their desk, but. My colleagues and I would always gripe over how much we didn't like practicing law at lunch, and we'd think about and dream about and talk about what else we would do. We even came up with a little website, leavingthelaw.com, and uh, we're hoping that, um, I think secretly and collectively, to to make a bolt. And, um, you know, I, I don't think I, I don't know, maybe I just took it more seriously than they did, but... Uh, I began really thinking about well, what could I do if I wanted to leave the law, and I always have loved cooking. I've loved food and making food, studying it, um, reading recipe books. I've done that since I was a kid, and uh, I mean, my my version of a fun read is a cookbook. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I said to myself, you know, let's just um, dive more into your your love for food and cooking, just for fun. And uh, as I did that, I said, oh, I want to really learn how to bake because I didn't know how to do that. And baking just kind of took off. It was one thing after another, bring, you know, a cake into work and friends and family started asking them to order them. And I really have just been playing catch up, I guess, uh, since then. Well, and we all know, uh, those of us in Washington at least, that there is uh, no shortage of lawyers in this town. That's right. right. Are, there, are there any role models who inspired you or any, anybody who sort of inspired you to, uh, to, to make this break? I, um, I talk with lots of people, um, and I, I really enjoy 
meeting different people and different types of people in, in whatever setting. And I try to listen deeply to the things that anybody says. There isn't one specific person that comes to mind that kind of inspired me to to follow my dream and to follow an idea. It's really, and this is, I think, the thing that's been the, the most pleasant and rewarding and surprising thing about being an entrepreneur is that I feel like I draw on the lessons that I've had and received for my whole life from small little encounters that seemed otherwise totally innocuous to, you know, the uh, nuns when I was in grade school kind of driving a point home. I feel like um, there it's like a nice gigantic patchwork of uh, everybody that's taught me things and that has helped me that I'm able to uh, to pull their you know really to just pull up their voice in my head and uh, and go with that as my guidance um, it's always been like that for me and this is uh, this is really no exception how did you uh, learn and hone the skills that you have today are you self-taught or I'm self-taught um, I I guess I like to watch things and uh, and then mimic or you know just imitate what I've seen um, I was traveling through Europe I remember one time when I was in college I was backpacking and I was in Germany uh, one day it was raining so I couldn't really go outside so I was just wandering through a mall and I stumbled upon like an Italian kind of restaurant and the chef was preparing food right in the uh, this window so you could watch it if you're just walking by the mall having nothing to do no money and soaking wet I decided to just stand there and watch and see what I could learn and I really learned a lot of basic stuff about like cooking pasta and the sauce preparation and how they get the sauce to stick to the pasta mm-hmm. and um, that kind of lesson that kind of learning and watching for cooking is something that's really has always helped me watching cooking shows when I was growing up um, Julia Child Frugal Gourmet I mean I used to watch those a lot with my sister Lenore uh, and my sister will claim that she uh, taught me how to cook and taught me everything I know. <laughs> she did teach me a few things for sure, but um, it's it's really about to me watching somebody else, whether on TV or um, or in person, and uh, just going at it and trying it. And and then while I'm working on it, like the books that I've read have given me a base knowledge of what tastes good with what identifying herbs and spices, um, you know, talking about how best to prepare a certain meat. And um, I I just kind of played with that a lot. Your new book is called Cake Love, How to Bake Cakes from Scratch. And um, uh, not a lot of people know this, but we have quite a selection of uh, cookbooks here at the Library of Congress, and we will be glad to uh, take that one into our collections. What can you tell us about your book? My book um, is my method of baking and what I feel is the uh, the way that you gotta follow the ingredients in the bowl and not rush them but also not um, you know not go too slowly so that you can have uh, a very good mixture of ingredients that will go into the pan and that will bake so that you have the right texture that you want um, I like to think of ingredient of a, a cake batter it's just a bunch of ingredients that surround air and making sure that air gets into the batter is very, very important for it to bake correctly, for it to rise to the level that you want it, really so that you have enough air pockets and distribution of everything so it's not too dense. 
so you have that right texture um, after it's baked, after it's cooled, and you want to assemble it into a layer cake, or if you just want to pour something over, if it's like a bunt or a pound cake. Um, I ask people to follow my steps in going through the recipes, and I've broken those steps out um, so that they can be followed easily, especially when you're working on it, like at arm's length, because I know that's how you use a book in the, in the kitchen. And particularly what I want people to do is follow some of the pictures that give you a step-by-step guide of um, you know what it looks like when it's correct versus um, versus just kind of going off in a territory by yourself without pictures as a guide. Um, a lot of times people ask me, what's one important thing to take away from the book? And if there's anything that separated my baking, you know, the kind of the before and after, like before it tasted good, and then once I feel like I hit the cake club type of a product is that I started baking with a scale and that's nothing revolutionary Um, it's really just what all the professionals insist that you do but when you bake with a scale you're weighing your flour on the scale and I sift my flour right onto my scale usually into a bowl that's set on top of my scale and that's how I take the measurement of how much flour I'm going to put into my batter a lot of times people will scoop and level. That's a very frequently referred to method of measuring flowers to scoop and level. Is that uh, more imprecise that way? Much more imprecise. Hmm. You typically will pack in extra flour, more flour than you need into that cup measure because you're doing it like in a, some kind of vessel that you, you know, kind of scoop into the bag of flour and you just basically condense it. And um, on top of that, I, I just feel that a lot of recipes that are out there call for more flour than is necessary. And um, so you get, you know, you get a lot of extra flour. And in a cake where all those ingredients need to surround air with too much flour, you're going to pack the air out of there. You're just going to condense it. And um, I just think that that's a kind of a catastrophic error that you, you just can't recover from when making a cake. Now, I'm the kind of guy who considers it at least a minor achievement if I'm able to heat something up in the microwave. Could this book benefit someone like me? I think so. Um, I think so. There's hope. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, there's, a book, there's a recipe in the book that's uh, a no-mixer cake, something you don't need fancy equipment for, at least to bake the cake part. Um, just uh, a bowl, whisk, a couple basic um, ingredients, butter, flour, sugar, eggs, and you can just go whips together really fast and uh, you know it's really easy to bake and fairly reliable the thing that I think is a little complicated is in making buttercream a lot of people get scared when, when making a cake you got your cake part you know the bread part you got something for the filling if you desire it but then you always have to have the frosting or the buttercream some people even call it the icing I've never really actually found the definition that really, you know, differentiates frosting from buttercream, but there are many different types of buttercream, mm-hmm. many different ways to get there. And uh, I prefer the types that are made with some kind of egg, whether it's white or yolks, and you're cooking them somehow. Excuse me. If you're using egg whites, then we do it as Italian meringue buttercream. If you're doing it with egg yolks, then I do it as usually as this pastry cream-based buttercream. And the differences really quickly are that 
The Italian meringue buttercream I'm going to take and whip up the egg whites to a stiff peak. I'll pour in a hot sugar syrup that will cook the egg whites. I will whip that till it's cool in a, in a standing mixer. Then I'll add in butter. You need a standing mixer for that. You really need a candy thermometer for that, too, uh, in a pot. And you're cooking that sugar syrup up to, like, 250 degrees, just a little under, but basically 250. And a lot of people get scared thinking that, oh, I'm going to burn myself. I'm going to burn myself on that sugar syrup when I pour it into the mixer. I'm going to mess it up. And, and it, the, the multiple steps that it involves in the heat, I think, really turn people off. And so they just go for this very common type of buttercream that's like on the side of the confectioner's sugar box. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's what people do. You know, it's more convenient, etc. I choose not to do that, though, because I think that the other buttercream with the confectioner's sugar is just much too sweet. Mm-hmm. Much too sweet for what adults like. Um, typically calls for milk, which I just uh, kind of cut out of my diet, even though I'm a cake guy. I don't really eat milk or drink milk. Um, and uh, I just think that the one that's the Italian meringue buttercream or this pastry cream buttercream is much more flavorful. The, the depth of the flavor and the, and the depth of just the, tex- the texture is, is much more engaging and different. It's, it's old-fashioned. It's old-school. So I, I feel that, you know, in baking cake, making the cake isn't really the hardest part. It's the buttercream and then just kind of dealing with what type of buttercream you're going to make. Um, if you're a novice and you want to get into baking, I always suggest you start with a pound cake, um, chocolate or vanilla, or if you want to get a little more adventurous. i got a lot of different flavors of pound cakes one can put together. But those are simple, easy. People know what they are. You bring them to the room. They want to try it. You don't need frosting. And, um, you know, they, they got a lot of flavor in them. They definitely get the job done. Uh, but if you want to take it to the next level, then you can go about doing fillings and frostings or buttercreams and I'm just a huge, huge fan of the Italian meringue. Now, take me into this, uh, into your creative process a little bit. Uh, what, how do you develop your recipes? I mean, how do you, how do you start from just the idea to the actual execution? Yeah, I. A lot of times, my ideas come from uh, different different things and different, uh, I guess, different sources. Usually, in the culinary world, rather than just like the sweet world. But I'll find one or two flavors that I want to focus on, and I will let the spirit move me, I guess, in terms of finding, okay, well, is this going to be a cake, or is it a buttercream, or is it a pastry cream? Is it a meringue? Like, is it some, what's the format that it's going to go on? Some ingredients just lend themselves to a certain ways of presenting, um, and some are very universal. I was uh, one time looking to do something that involved heat and uh, something spicy, but like a hot spice and a smokiness. So um, a friend of mine and I were talking in the very early days, and we were, you know, thinking, well, how in the world could you do that, like get a smoky, fiery feeling? And uh, years later, or a year later, sometime after that, I uh, was reading this book on Malaysian cooking, and I was talking about this woman who was... Uh, Smashing some peppers in a mortar, mortar and uh, with a mortar and pestle, and the pepper like splashed into her eye. Instantly, she's kind of like you know immobilized by the searing heat from one of these hot peppers. And her father or grandfather goes and makes this sugar and water paste, and he get brings it to her and puts it on her eye, and almost instantly the, the 
the pain just ceases. Hmm. She's kind of amazed. She's like, what the world is that? It's just sugar and water. But the sugar interferes with, like, your, your body. It's like a barrier between your body and the heat units. And um, the same thing happens if you're going to eat it. So when I combine cayenne pepper into the dry ingredients of one of my pound cakes, when you swallow it, uh, when you're biting on the cake, you, you can kind of sense the pepper. You can sense it a lot more when you swallow because it, it passes over your voice box and like you begin to, it begins to tingle. But if you use just a little bit, that heat remains just a tingle. And that is a neat play, I think, on like bringing a cake to a different type of place, a different flavor dimension, a different realm. and. Uh, like customers of Cake Lover like that. We have a cake called Sassy where we add that cayenne pepper to the dry mix. And I also found that it can work pretty well when you bring the pepper into a buttercream, like when you steep the pepper into milk and go ahead and make a, a pastry cream-based buttercream. So uh, I take my inspiration from, you know, from fun and joking around with my friends and then just like other sources of uh, culinary use of the ingredients and uh, just saying, well, what if I do that or what if I do this? So I, I like to play around. Um, I'm just thinking briefly, too, like one other thing. I was making a ginger and I think it was ginger and pineapple, and I wanted to see if I could fold those into a meringue because I uh, I like meringues very much. I think they're very interesting. and. And they're great because they have either low or no fat in them. And uh, they're just great vehicles. And dried ginger powder that I um, uh, took and folded into the dry ingredients of a, of a meringue that I baked at a very high, well, not very high, but relatively high temperature, like around 325 or 350. For a short period of time, you get a nice crisp exterior and you get a nice soft gooey center. And with the spices thrown in there, it just lifted to me the the taste and flavor of the meringue kind of to a different level where you you get about as close to the spice powder flavor as you can get, but without it like drying out your tongue. Well, there was a time in my younger life when I was shocked by the idea of putting carrots into a cake. So hearing cayenne <laughs> pepper and some of these ingredients is quite a revelation. Yeah, yeah. So many things can work in them, and. Uh, and it's it's not it's not too crazy. I mean, there's even beets that I you know like to work with in cake, so it works. What are some of the biggest mistakes that people make when they bake? Um, short of like uh, not weighing the flour, I think a lot of times people undermix the batter or overmix it. And typically, the undermixing comes at the stage when you're combining the butter and sugar. You're doing this thing called creaming the butter and sugar. And that is usually instructed to mix the two in the mixer, or by hand, but usually with a mixer, until it's light and fluffy. And that is a unknown, <laughs> you know, uh, event occurrence. Like, when does the butter and sugar become light and fluffy? I never really knew that, whether that stage happened. And uh, even more important, I never really knew what speed to mix the butter and sugar at. You know, I kind of figured it. At first, I remember I when I got a standing mixer, it's like, great, I have more power. I can do this quickly. Let me just, you know, turn on the high speed and get going. And that's just entirely wrong. We mix our butter and sugar, like, on the lowest speed or, like, next to the lowest speed. And we do that because we don't want to beat the air out of the batter. Uh, again, the air being the important thing. 
So when I am and mixing that, I'll, I do three stages where the butter and sugar are dancing together in the bowl, and then they begin to clump onto the beater, and then they will begin to come off the beater and coat the side of the bowl. And those three stages are pretty distinct. Uh, you can see them visually without too much effort uh, and without like kind of stretching the limits of imagination. And um, you know, then you're ready to go once it's come off the side, once it's coating the side of the bowl. Uh, usually, you have to have your butter and sugar at room temperature. It's you know, like if the butter's between 60 and 70 or degrees or so. And um, the right size crystal of the sugar is important too. A lot of times, people will just grab the granulated sugar. It's commonly in the five-pound bag. It's on the uh, shelf in the grocery store, and that's okay, but I would always recommend people to pulse that in a food processor a little bit because you want to make sure that the crystal size is something closer to uh, extra fine or fine granulation rather than just granulated. And that small difference in the size, you know, from like, I don't know, I don't even really know a good reference, but basically you, you don't want large crystals. You want smaller ones because you want more surface area so that when you're mixing that flat paddle, you're pushing that paddle, that paddle pushes the sugar into the butter. That butter gives enough resistance so that when the sugar comes in, a little bit of air comes right behind the sugar and gets trapped in the butter. Again, air. And the more crystals you have to bring in that air, the better aeration you'll have for that butter-sugar combo. Um, that creamy butter and sugar is the first step in most cakes that are made like as American butter-based cakes. I think it's really one of the most important ones. Um, just really quickly, a second thing that I think people do in terms of over-mixing the batter is that a lot of times the books and recipes will say, you know, as you're adding your dry and wet ingredients, you know, add one, you know, scoop of flour and its other dry things and mix until thoroughly combined. Then add a little bit of the milk or whatever the liquid stuff is and mix until thoroughly combined. I want to take that mix until thoroughly combined whole statement and just X that out. Because what I do is I go about adding in the dry and the wet ingredients really as rapidly as I can, you know, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, but I want to keep on going. As soon as I put one down, I'll pick up the other one and so forth. It's because I don't want to give the flour um, and the gluten proteins that are in that flour any more time than absolutely necessary to develop their strength because as the gluten gets stronger, really a function of how long it's in the batter and like it's wet and it's just getting stronger, the tougher the cake will be. So I want to move quickly as I'm adding the dry and the wet ingredients and um, the only time I'm really going to let the mixer run is once everything's in the, in the bowl, it's all mixed together, I've scraped on my sides and I'm just going to run the mixer for about 15 to 20 seconds to make sure it's all thoroughly combined. But I don't want to mix and just kind of wait until every single thing is, you know, mixed in before I add the next, you know, batch of the dry or the wet. 
Well, this is probably the first time I've thought of uh, baking uh, as much a science as it is an art. It's, it's certainly an education. Yeah. Uh, we're very excited to have you at the National Book Festival on September 27th. Why, why do you think it's important to participate in the book festival? What has motivated you? One of the things that motivated me to write the book is that I want to, and I didn't even realize this, to tell you the truth, while I was doing it, I was just kind of writing it, but I get so much pleasure out of being in the kitchen. I really just want people to get in there and, and try to experience something of what I do, too. And it's not just a pleasure for the sake of being in the kitchen and the warmth of the, you know, the family and the company that's there. I mean, there's that for sure. Uh, but, I mean, I guess as a guy who's kind of a student of food and how it interacts with the body and, you know, what you can get out of it and all that kind of stuff, I feel like it's an underutilized resource, that the kitchen is a totally underutilized resource in this country, and that like if people just got into the kitchen and made more food for themselves, that they'd be better off in so many ways, you know, in the pocketbook, when they go to the doctor's office, at their waistline, um, their inner psyche. I mean, I, so many things would benefit from it. You know, you'd have less you'd have less diabetes, you'd have less, you know, overeating of, like, junk foods. People would spend more time together with their families. People would see company more because someone's going to come over and eat all that food. <laughs> I mean, there'd be a lot of things, I think, that could come out of that just are der derived from spending time in the kitchen that you really don't even anticipate when you begin, but it just, it's just the magic that comes out of there. And uh, I enjoy cooking and being in the kitchen a lot because no matter how much I pour into it, like, it gives me back more. You know, the rewards, the return are a heck of a lot more than I ever put into it. Mm -hmm. So I, that's, I mean, you know, a lot of people ask me why am I happy or am I happy? How am I happy? How am I doing what I'm doing with Cake Club as starting a business, running a business? One of the main things that I do is just I spend time in the kitchen and I cook. And I listen to things that I, I listen to what I want. And one of those things that I want is food and, and eating. And, you know, it's in some sense, I guess it's a little bit silly because it seems like such a mundane thing. you got to eat, so, like, you know, is it really all that special? But it is. And it, uh, it gives me a chance to, to check in with myself and to give me something that I, that I want to please a desire that I have. And, frankly... When you get in the habit of giving yourself something that you want, you just begin to not accept other things if you don't want them because you're, you're used to being able to satisfy yourself. And I don't know, I mean, through one of the most basic things in life, I began to do that when I was still in grade school because uh, you know, that's when I started cooking. So, you know, whether it's quantity of food or the, the choice and the type of food, I've been able to and I've been blessed with the opportunity to... Um, to make what I want. And that's really all I'm doing with Cake Love and writing the book and all that stuff. Well, Warren Brown, before we let you go, what is, uh, what's next for you? What's coming up? Uh, next steps are really just kind of growing the business. Um, adding a couple more stores and lucky to uh, expand the business locally in D.C. And um, I guess next step is going beyond that uh, through the Mid-Atlantic. Well, Warren Brown, uh, the book and the business are both called Cake Love, and we appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. 
Thanks very much. I look forward to the uh, festival in September, and I'll, I'll see you down there. Well, and we're very excited, and again, that uh, is the National Book Festival, Saturday, September 27th on the National Mall from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. It's free and open to the public. If you'd like a list of details and all the participating authors, you can visit www.loc.gov bookfest. From the Library of Congress, this has been Matt Raymond. Thank you for listening.